Welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buto, Editor-in-Chief of PCDNF and Circuits Assembly. First, a word from today's sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by PCB East, the original conference and exhibition for printed circuit board design, fabrication, and assembly on the East Coast. Circle your calendars for June 15th to 17th in Marlboro, Massachusetts. Visit the website at pcbeast.com for information. My guests today are Keshav Amla, founder and CEO of Avish Tech, and Tarun Amla, co-founder and CTO. Avish Tech is a San Jose, California-based developer of simulation and design software, specifically stack-up and 2D field solvers. Gentlemen, welcome to PCB Chat. Thank you. Thank you. More than I can ever recall, design engineers are paying close attention to materials. It's not just about the routing anymore. And I want to talk with you about your latest software release in a moment. First, however, let's talk about Avish Tech. Keshav, you launched the company while you were at Stanford, correct? That is correct, Mike. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what gave you the idea and what was the, what was the motivation? It all started in 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 2015 when I was when I was at Stanford. I'd uh, I'd just joined for for my master's uh, degree at the time, and so Avish Tech was going to serve as the vehicle within which I would uh, start my own company. And and this would be initially there were uh, some ideas I had as related to autonomous driving uh, IP. And so we went ahead, uh, Tarun and I uh, went ahead, we filed patents and those have since been granted. And those are things that are still ongoing. So about a year and a half ago, it seemed that the opportunity was ripe for us to really innovate in the EDA sector in a a very meaningful way. And, And that's because what we could do was we could blend our deep knowledge of mechanical engineering, material science and engineering electrical engineering, and advanced numerical mathematics, and really use that to leverage all of that to create an integrated environment where you can now design PCBs, not just for signal integrity or not just for one particular attribute, but really look at the whole picture. And and we were uniquely poised to do that. And so that's why we decided that we should go ahead and build an advanced uh, 2D field solver that'll have the highest accuracy possible for uh, you know for impedance loss RLGC all these parameters and also hand in hand with that we would build a uh, a stack up design and simulation tool where now you can actually look at the thermomechanical uh, simulations you can look at the reliability the manufacturability and now, uh, especially since the industry has gotten to the point where you don't have, uh, where you don't really have the wiggle room that you used to have, especially as you're getting into high data rate and uh, high frequency applications. I mean, when when you're trying to do 112 gigabits per second per channel, uh, or if for 5G uh, applications you're getting up to 28 gigahertz, you you just don't have that headroom that you used to have, and so. Now where the previous solutions would have been maybe not uh, 100% accurate, but if they tell you it'll work, it would work. Now, even that binary question of, is this design going to work for my needs? Your software is telling you, yes, 
And then when you go to build it, uh, you find out that the answer is actually no. And so that's why it's become extremely critical to, uh, to get the modeling right. And so we saw an opportunity to not only do the modeling right on the signal integrity side, but also to enable a completely new set of uh, modeling and simulation uh, as relates to reliability and manufacturability that wasn't possible in the past. And so, so when we saw this opportunity and as we, we started working on it, we realized that we were really onto something here. And, and that's how we went about it. Uh, was your master's in double E? So my undergrad was in mechanical engineering. Uh, so I, I studied at Caltech and earned, my, earned that degree uh, a few years ago. And then at Stanford, I uh, went to pursue my master's in material science and engineering. In fact, I had then uh, continued on to a PhD in mechanical engineering there. Uh, however, I, uh, I left the program when... Uh, when we started working on our Gauss uh, tool sets, uh, that's when I decided that uh, that I needed to focus on this full time and uh, really throw myself at this effort. And so then I, I left the uh, PhD program. And Tarun, you have a long experience in printed circuit board laminates. I'm sure most of our listeners uh, will recognize your name. Did you influence Keshav's focus on board level materials? Uh, yes, to uh, I think to a large extent. I did. We talked about some of the problems that we encountered uh, in PCB design, and it seemed like there was a lack of understanding uh, of certain basic principles. <clears throat> and there was this always um, this confusion about what was right and what wasn't. And there were schools of thought. There wasn't any science being applied to it. And that's where teaming up with Keshev really brought that to fore the, on the electrical engineering side. I'd done a lot of modeling work prior to this. And then it was just taking that and the the thermomechanical properties that we were developing. It just seemed right for us to move in this direction because his skill set is, is complementary to mine. Uh, when I can do work on uh, numerical simulations, he can help with the coding part or part of making the uh, design interface so a lot of complementary skills. So if I was looking for a partner, I couldn't find a better one. And and so when we talked about these problems, it was uh, his idea that we should start working in this direction and try to distill all this knowledge base that we have internally and the complementary skill sets and move forward with something that's going to be beneficial to the industry. So I think he influenced me. I influenced him. So it was a lot of uh, discussions we had around this topic that kind of fostered uh, the vision of what Avish Tech's doing right now. How can Avish Tech help design engineers understand their stack ups? Is it just a matter of having the most extensive materials library? It's not the uh, materials library because that's just data. It doesn't do anything in terms of telling you if the design's going to be okay or not. So there's a perception out there that you know the materials that are being used are no different from other materials that are being used. For instance, copper, well, it's a metal. Well, steel, it's a metal. And then laminate, well, it should be, it should have one set of properties, but that's not the case. Every stack of design that's done is different. And the difference in properties can be as high as 50%. So certain properties can change 50, 60% from what you might have your baseline on or what the data sheet's publishing. 
So the whole point was how do we get that information out? Because when, when you look at the data sheets, they just publish one number. And a lot of times people think that that's the number that's going to stay with their stack up. So if someone says your coefficient of thermal expansion is going to be 40 parts per million, they expect it to be the same for all stack ups. But that could be 95 in another one and 105 in the third one and maybe 28 in a third one. Uh, in a fourth one. So basically, that's the thing that uh, designers don't understand. They think it's 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 a material, so how different could it be? But it's a composite, and that's that's where all the properties depend on the ratio of the resin and the glass, and how do you distill it down into into numbers and then into data that can be looked at and say, well, this is a design that's not going to work, and this is a design that's going to work. So that's where we put in a lot of effort to take the information that's provided from the material supplier and from that extract the properties that we think, uh, that we believe are very important inputs to those uh, reliability decisions and modeling. So that's it's, it's not just the dielectric library because that doesn't do anything except for providing dielectric numbers. But taking that and saying, okay, my whole stack up, what it's going to do in terms of thermomechanical properties, that's the key thing. And then once you get those properties, we then don't want people to spend you know, days and months and years modeling that on finite element analysis. We give them the answer with that and say, well, this is going to survive maybe 1,000 cycles between 25 degrees and, you know, and 150 degrees C. So that's the difference, that it's intelligent extraction of data and converting it into uh, information that the user can see without having to delve into the minutiae or the details of how, because you can't get that data from the, from the suppliers in any case, because some don't have capability, some don't have the understanding, and some don't want to give it. So that's what we have done here. And just to, to add on to that, of course, we do start with, with that extraction of the, of the relevant inputs for our simulations. But uh, another, another very critical side of it is that the simulations that we conduct, they are for woven composites. And if you try to model composites, you know, as, as was just mentioned, if you try to model them as, as if they are, they're similar materials to, say, you know, a semiconductor or or some other pure uh, elemental material out there, you're not going to be able to to get uh, the kind of detailed information that you need simply because uh, woven composites behave very differently. And modeling of woven composites is is a significant challenge, especially if you're trying to do it within the context of uh, of a lot of the other kinds of simulation approaches. Uh, but that's something that we have gone ahead and done. And so now... Once we extract the uh, the relevant inputs, we then run them through our simulation. And so we take so with our library, we have the relevant inputs uh, already in our in our tool ready to go. And so then when you specify your stack up, it runs a simulation on that stack up and tells you exactly as as was just mentioned that, okay, this stack up, you're going to see that, uh, you know, the Z expansion is 28 parts per million uh, below TG. But on the next one, you'll see that you'll see that 95. Uh, and that's because you're, you're going to specify your particular stack up and it's going to run an actual simulation on the particular configuration that you have. While everything starts with, with data, it goes from data to relevant inputs 
to a simulation and then uh, we don't even stop there. We, we we actually then tell you what what all of that means. I mean, so okay, these are my CTEs and uh, moduli that you've uh, you've told me that my board will have. Uh, but what does that mean for me at the end of the day? Am, am I going to see uh, see the problems that I'm trying to avoid, uh, or is this uh, design going to work for my need? You've mentioned the relevant inputs. What are some of those and where do those inputs come from? You mentioned that you already have them embedded in. So, you know, how are you how are you deciding what goes in? And following along what Tarun had mentioned, the laminate supplier or the material supplier may not give you exactly what you need to know. So, how do you derive that? That's something that uh, we've developed this uh, this algorithm to do that. So it's it's more like I mean, if you look at, for instance, the noise signature of a submarine, you can build a submarine if you have the right data, because you look at the turbulence and you kind of look at that information, you build it. So that sounds like a more uh, esoteric example. But when you make something, well, you know, uh, the first thing you do is kind of look at what the density of the material is. From the density, you would draw based on the knowledge we have that uh, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, filler percentage it might have. And from that, you can get the neat resin DK and DF. When you get these properties, there are models that you can use to then build it. And like all models are wrong, some are useful. Uh, What we then (laughs) did was in this case was, (laughs) yeah, George Fox. So then what you do is you go out there and say, well, how useful is this model? So that's where what we did was we did a lot of extensive testing on this, we built random boards where uh, we asked the uh, manufacturer to, uh, the PCB manufacturer to kind of go and build it on a material of their choice, just tell us what it is. And once we got that, we sent it out, spent a lot of money for its testing. And once we got that data back, we compared it to our results and it was right on target, very, very close. And and for this kind of testing, since, um, uh, you know, uh, there's not a lot of um, alternatives available uh, as to how to get the data. There are some proxies, you know, for instance, if you don't really know the Z-axis modulus, well, the expansion is a good measure, a very close proxy for it, a good surrogate in terms of being able to predict what the moduli will be. So that's what we did in this case. And uh, uh, again, same thing on the electrical side. We looked at the impedance and compared it to um, the uh, numbers that had been published in literature where there are closed form solutions available, uh, you know, conformal mapping get, dating back to the 1940s. So we compared those numbers to what we got with our simulations without tuning, without doing any of those things. So most of our coding work was completed very early on. I think last one year, we've been spending a lot of time and money on validation because we didn't want a tool that just kind of gave the almost right answer. We wanted to give as close an answer uh, as possible. So that's where a lot of effort went into was the validation part of it. So those numbers that we're talking about are at the neat resin level, at the pure resin level, and then the properties of the glass, those of course are available in literature. And then combining them, that's where micromechanics comes into play, and that's what we did. 
And and curiously, um, you know, the approach that we're we're talking about that are that are that we're enabling for our users that by using our tools they'll be able to design uh, for their needs uh, correctly the first time, and then when they have to go and build uh, physical boards, uh, do actual validation. That's going to be uh, the goal is that they just have to do that do that once, right? I mean, they don't have to keep doing constant respins. That's actually very similar to the approach that we used in, in developing this software also, that everything we did came from a solid basis in, in physics. And so as a result of that, what we did was we made sure that we created the correct models and, and we were very thorough in, in building our, our simulation approach. And so then when it came time to, to test, we were getting confirmation that uh, that what we've done is is correct, uh, rather than having to see okay, well the numbers are are, are very off, and now we have to go and uh, you know go back to the drawing board. We may we use that same systematic approach that we that we're trying to enable for our users uh, in the development as well. What are some of the mechanical properties that the algorithm? can help spit out as far as uh, uh, as far as what we uh, require for the inputs the algorithm that we develop for extraction it gives us those those polymer properties that uh, the Tarun just spoke to but as far as what our users will be able to get uh, when they put when they construct a stack up design and click the compute button uh, what they're going to get are CTEs in uh, all three directions, uh, X, Y, and Z, as well as above, uh, below and above TG for the Z. And they're also going to get the uh, Young's moduli, uh, shear moduli, and Poisson's ratios in, in all three directions. So those are the thermomechanical properties that they get. They also get a warpage number, which is uh, going to be zero for a balanced symmetric uh, design. But if you're doing something that's asymmetric, uh, working with with some kind of a hybrid uh, construction, you're likely to see uh, warpage. And so this will also uh, provide that information. Tarun, did you want to speak to anything else uh, on that? Yeah, there is the glass top, which which I think is the the major problem that a number of times uh, designs fail because, you know, when the test vehicle was used, a certain construction was used. And when it was used... Uh, in the field for a design, the the numbers change. For instead of one ounce, somebody used two ounce copper, and uh, instead of using a certain construction, they changed it because it cost less or uh, was um, you know more appropriate or readily available. And then there, what what happens is resin starvation or glass stock. And that's something that nobody pays attention to. There are some, uh, you know, laminate manufacturers which have in-house tools, but nobody gets to use them because the stack-ups are done by independently of that. And so what happens is they, when they design the product, they, they don't see the glass stop. And a person, a designer may just optimize a design for, not optimize, actually just maximize, for instance, for signal integrity. And then find out, well, this is not even buildable because they're seeing issues with, um, uh, with glass stop, which leads to calf or crazing or major voiding. And that's one of the things that we've seen validated. In fact, uh, one of our first customers, few, first few customers came back and said, well, this predicted 
what we actually saw in the field after a long time. So to us, that was a great validation that it could do that. So that's that's one of the things that's overlooked quite often. And does re- this does require uh, finding out, for instance, if it's a heavily filled system that's coming from someone, then it doesn't have the capability to fill those traces and uh, the gaps between those traces. So that's the other thing that it does. And then once you get the mechanical properties, then it can give you predictions for solder joint reliability based on the package size. It can give you PTH reliability numbers based on, again, the hole size and the pitch. And again, these are median numbers that you get, but again, grounded in science and fairly accurate so far with the validation we've done. So GaussTech has the advantage of enabling the user to predict the failure modes at the stack up design stage. As I understand it, that's novel. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you do this? Yes, that's that's exactly what uh, what GaussTac uh, was designed to do. And, and how it does this is through this additional simulation capability. The fact is that you have a single environment within which you you construct your stack up, you press it, you get you click compute and get the pressed thickness, which will then be used as an input for uh, as the relevant uh, thickness for your uh, uh, electromagnetic simulations for your impedance analysis and and synthesis, which is another capability that we offer where you can specify for the entire stack up what your target impedances are, and it will it will find that solution for you uh, for all of your single-ended and differential traces all across your, your stack up, no, no matter if it's a 10-layer board or a 100-layer board. So that we have that electromagnetic side of the simulation capability. But in addition to that, we have the ability to look at the manufacturability uh, checks. So Am I going to have glass top in this? Which is a, a key issue if if you need to avoid calf, you want to avoid uh, issues with voiding, crazing, all kinds of things that are going to prevent your board from even being manufactured, and also reduce uh, reduce the life in service, assuming it is capable of of being manufactured, uh, even though it it may be a marginal case. So you're able to check for manufacturability and you find out, okay, this design is going to give me glass top. And you'll, you'll often find that the, that the difference in terms of a stack up that, that passes all, all of your checks and one that's going to fail could be something as simple as just changing a glass style or going to a higher resin content construction. The fixes are usually not very complicated, but they're fixes that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to find with just a, a rule of thumb or if you don't have an environment that can, that can tell you what to look for. So first thing you're, you're going to do is when you, when you use Gauss stack, is rather than just you've designed your stack up because you you're looking for a particular set of thicknesses, uh, and you just go jump right into your signal integrity analysis. Uh, what you're going to do with Gauss stack is you're going to first check and see is this board manufacturable? Am I going to have calf issues? Am I going to have crazing and and uh, voiding issues? Then you're going to see okay, well, is this board going to be reliable? Is it going to pass uh, pass reflow? Is it going to give me enough uh, cycles to failure for my plated through holes or my microvias or my solder joints. And once you now have a design that works for that, then you're going to see, 
well, is this going to be sufficient from the signal integrity side of things? Now you have the ability to look at that complete picture uh, at, at the stack up design stage, rather than only finding about some problems when you build a, when you build a prototype of your design, uh, when you make a test vehicle a, a few months down the road, or even worse, uh, if you're seeing field failures much later on. And so that's where, where Gauss Stack allows you to, rather than doing this uh, constant uh, prototype respin process, uh, it allows you to go to market faster. It allows you to catch these problems and fix them before you even before you're, you know, tied down to a particular design. I'm very interested in the idea that you can predict solder joint reliability based on the stack up, right? I mean, that I've, I've never run into that before. Right. I mean, that's that's something that uh, has been attempted to a certain extent, but the traditional approach has been that, well, let's run a finite element analysis on it. But the biggest issue there is when you run the finite element analysis, you're basically doing the exact same thing that we'd be doing unless there are some areas where you have stress concentration an analytical solution is better than a uh, finite element solution. But the inputs that you need for the FEA, where do you get them? And uh, that's the issue. So, that, you know, in my several years trying to do some modeling work, that was the issue. Where do you get those inputs? And basically the kind of tool we have, even if you wanted to do an FEA simulation, which why would you do that? Because you just run one cycle, find out what the plastic strain is or the strain energy is, and then apply a formula. Well, you can do that uh, unless you have areas of stress concentration on, on the board itself. You can do that fairly easily now that you have those properties, because what you need for essentially for doing that is what is the modulus of the board in X and Y, and what is the uh, what is the CTE? If you have these two numbers, and then you know the pitch of your uh, solder, bo- uh, uh, solder balls, and you basically also know the dimensions of the of the package that's being used, then it's a simple uh, you know mathematical calculation. But if you don't have those inputs, then you know it's going to be garbage in, garbage out because uh, those numbers affect it to a, a very large extent. And uh, so that's the input that you basically need that, you know, you might have that properties, for instance, for one layer, but for the entire stack of highly accurate numbers are what you need to predict solder joint reliability. And, um, uh, you know, those those are uh, I think there are other people also have tried doing that, but uh, more at the level of running FEA simulations on it with the inputs are missing. Right. So your inputs are at best going to be estimates that you would generate from some data sheet, but it's not going to be representative of the stack up. So each stack will have a different reliability number, maybe not that uh, huge a range, but it could be pretty large. We see some simulations where we see like three, 400 cycle difference between one stack and the other. And all you might've done is changed uh, one or two components in it, one or two layers in it. And, and yeah, and so even if you did want to do that FEA simulation, you would still need the, uh, the thermomechanical properties that, that you get from Gauss Stack. People are, are welcome to still do it that way if, uh, if, that is, uh, if that's the approach they're used to. 
but the purpose here is to get you to the to the answer uh, accurately and quickly. And so what what you'll find is that if you were to now you had these inputs again, you still would struggle uh, to run uh, to run a case to failure simply because uh, doing that kind of elastic plastic analysis in in finite element uh, tools is uh, is an extreme challenge and and that kind of modeling and simulation takes uh, many months if not uh, if not longer to do uh, which is which is why we add we have that capability in Gauss stack itself and and you'll find that your results yes with the FEA you'd still get uh, an, a, a reasonably accurate result uh, but it's going to be consistent with the result that you would get from the from the prediction directly from Gauss stack. And you don't have to, you don't have to spend all, all that time and effort trying to get it to work because all of the inputs that you need are there. Uh, and our approach is, uh, our approach is different. Our approach is, is, is one that uh, enables it for, for people without having to, I mean, ease of use is really one of the things that we've, we've emphasized uh, in, in our tool sets. And, and we just want to make sure that, that our users are able to get the information that they care about uh, without having to become, you know, experts in a particular method and experts within our tool set. You know, you should be able to get get run, uh, get off the uh, get, you know, running with our software very quickly, uh, and be able to get all of the information that you need. The tool does does account for ground plane losses and. Uh, which is something pretty major that, you know, when you're running simulations, there is a false sense of security with other tools where they say, well, there is another 20, 30% headroom if you want to go to 112 gigabits per second, right? And that's not a reality because that's all being taken up by the copper uh, losses in the ground plane. So that's unfortunately, everyone's talked about it, but none of the tools included except ours for the first time. And so that's something that is, is important that uh, when we were asking about some of the failure modes, this is something that, you know, uh, designers can and, and, and OEMs can observe uh, after the fact, after they've designed it or after they've simulated, they'll find that it doesn't work because it doesn't include one major thing. That's the ground pain losses, which, you know, back in the day when you were running megahertz was fine. But now you're running at 28 gigahertz, and the difference between the distance between the ground plane and the and the signal layer is four mils, uh, 100 microns, and those proximity effects can be as high as 35 percent. Can users manipulate or otherwise edit the library to reflect their own real life results? For dielectric properties, yes. So that was one of the questions that we've had to field is that, you know, my personal experience is that uh, uh, material from vendor A actually has uh, the dielectric constant as 3.5 and what you have in here from the uh, is 3.2. So, yes, you can change that. Uh, those are the things you can do. If, for instance, you have the conductivity numbers, for instance, we're building a library which you can just go to the copper supplier and pick it up and say, well, this copper has a conductivity which is like 
which this was data that was never available, but that's some of the vendors are supplying it to us. And you could say, well, it's 99% of copper and the other copper is 90% of the copper. And then the third, uh, then the user might say, well, my experience is that the roughness is not really 0.4 microns. It's like 0.2 microns. Well, they can plug it in. So that's, that's the, uh, that's the capability that they have to change those inputs. Now for the mechanical properties, they can't do that because we don't make them visible. Uh, to uh, the user, and again, it's it's a level of sophistication that be required to do that. So we're keeping that away. But for instance, on um, on PTH reliability, uh, what we are predicting is that there are no manufacturing inconsistencies or variability. So that is not included in our simulation. And then someone. Uh, who's a sophisticated user might feel, well, my copper modulus is not exactly 117 GPA. I have this data and it's like 95 or 50. So they can plug that number in. And they say, well, my copper ductility is not 27%, it's 35%. They can plug that number in. So that can be done, but we put defaults in there, which are representative of what the industry is doing. So there may be shops that are better than this, and they can specify that and say, well, no, actually, uh, our, our copper ductility is higher and our modulus is uh, more consistent and it's higher, then, of course, they'll get different numbers on their, uh, on their uh, simulation. So that capability we've allowed. But it will take, unfortunately, that data is also not very easily available because copper ductility, you know, you just don't have direct numbers on that. So we provide them that capability, though, to modify the numbers. And is that library, is that cloud-based, or is that a local library? It's embedded in the tool itself. So it's client. It, it's a local library. Now, this is interesting. Lee Ritchie, whom most listeners will know as one of the leading experts in signal integrity and PCB design, is actually endorsing Gauss Stack. How did that come about? That was something that uh, we have been talking to him. We sent him, um, we've we engaged with him very early on, and we sent him um, trial versions of the license, and he gave us some very important feedback, especially relating to the library, relating to some of the other things that he wanted to see in there. So in 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 ways he helped us to get to uh, a more sophisticated version. But then there was this um, uh, benchmark case that he had, which he asked us to work on. And that did require us to kind of modify the tool in a way that you could do those measurements in, 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 in C2 and not have to kind of change from one tool to the other. But this, these were actual measurements. And he asked us to simulate those. And there was very close agreement on that. And, uh, and we had several presentations with him where he was involved listening to the tools. There were tough questions as usual. And um, uh, so we're very pleased to get his endorsement. I mean, that was a, that was a huge uh, win for us. And, um, you know, we are really thankful we got it because um, we had to go through his process of making sure that he was satisfied with the results. So uh, we've been we engaged with him uh, fairly earlier on. Key to that was building that functionality that he he would want to see in a tool, 
uh, a lot of th- some things that that he hadn't seen in uh, in in competitive offerings. Uh, and then, like Tarun just said, for his uh, benchmark, he, he wanted us to provide the uh, you know the results for uh, for signal integrity. Uh, and they were in, they were exactly in line with uh, with with uh, what they should be, uh, and on top of that, we uh, built the functionality that that allows you to run that uh, in a completely integrated fashion, and so we added that functionality uh, to to accommodate that kind of a of, of a benchmark as well. We worked hard on that, and we we just wanted to make sure that. Uh, we we addressed all of the all of the points that he wanted uh, in there, and uh, we're we're really pleased because uh, uh, we, like most in the industry, have have a very high opinion of, of Lee, and uh, are, are really really pleased that that he also holds uh, you know in high enough regard to give us uh, his endorsement. And we haven't really talked about Gauss Two D, which is your field solver, but that's already been available for what at least a year or so, right? Yes, actually, both Gauss 2D and Gauss Stack have been available and in the market. However, what's uh, what we're doing now is that uh, we've we've really revamped everything to the point where where this is this is now in in the form in which we we want it to go go wide uh, and and want the entire market to know. Because we've been we've been working very hard on uh, on building a lot of capabilities to to take this well beyond what is, uh, what's what's out there, and so when we originally launched uh, our products, we'd built a very powerful framework. In in the time since we've we've made it so that uh, not only does it have this uh, this extremely powerful engine, but it's something that ev- that that customers can use in in ways they couldn't have before, because we have that uh, fully integrated library. Because we have uh, put in a lot of effort to to validate uh, additional uh, additional approaches, additional things we're doing, and and really make this a tool that that's that's basically a drop in for uh, for our customers. They don't they don't need to. Uh, go and hunt for for new data, hunt for new things. But yes, to your to your question about Gauss 2D, the field solving capability of that is actually also the basis for the field solving capability in uh, Gauss Stack. They they share an, they share that same engine. But Gauss 2D, uh, being a more signal integrity focused tool, also has a, some more detail as as pertains to those kinds of uh, that kind of behavior, where you can look at your S parameters, where you can look at things like crosstalk, where you can look at power handling capability for for microstrips, and you can also deal with with some more esoteric cases. You can you can put in shielding, uh, you can account for coplanar waveguides, uh, multi-conductor buses of of microstrips and strip lines. And so that's the uh, so the way we we have our process uh, in mind is that uh, Gauss stack would be would be the first step in your process, and then once you've figured out what your stack up is going to be, you can do uh, you can you can get your you can also make sure that it's it's good from a signal integrity standpoint within Gauss stack. But for people working with transmission lines, once that stack up has been has been figured out. Then you can go to Gauss 2D and use that for for more detailed analysis, uh, and really look at uh, at 
at all of the properties that you would care about and look at it and have a you know completely frequency dependent kind of tool uh, for you to use in, in that environment. And listeners should know that the Avish Tech website at A-V-I-S-H-T-E-C-H has quite a bit of information and, and some uh, videos as well that you kind of walk into some detail explaining how the tools work. Yes, exactly. Uh, we, we go through how you go about using it and, uh, and, and try to give you insights as to, as to what this would look like in, uh, you know, deployed in, in your organization. Now, Keshav, has your father ever happened to mention that he appeared on the cover of our magazine some years ago? <laughs> yes, uh, I, I actually, uh, I, I have a uh, copy of that <laughs> You know, we, we made a life-size version of that for him, right? I, he knows that still his Yeah, that was... <laughs> so it, it's notable because there's really, yeah, there's really not a whole lot of people that have been on the cover of, of our magazine. So it actually was kind of a big deal. Oh, it is. For me, I've, I've kind of kept that copy. Uh, and then I found out that when I, when I was missing, it was with him. So with Geisha. So, <laughs> yeah. So, no, very proud of that. <laughs> Great. Well, well, gentlemen, I, I truly appreciate you taking the time with to speak with me today on PCB Chat and to give a little bit more background on on the company and and also the uh, the tools. Uh, Keshav, as I understand it, the the, the actually the, the company name has a uh, there there's it's not just a random word. There's actually a genesis to that. Can you explain it? Certainly. Avishtek comes, it's, it's a portmanteau word. It's a combination of, of two words, uh, but from two different languages. So the, the second part, tech, uh, I mean, every, everyone would realize that that's from technology. But the first part of it comes from the Sanskrit word uh, avishkar, which means uh, invention. And so basically this was, this was that blending of, uh, of innovation, but innovation brought into a real tangible form. In, in terms of technology. And that's, that's really what, what our vision is, is to, is to make uh, serious, uh, significant innovations, but make them a reality, make them, th- make them in, in tools and, and products that people can use rather than just some intangible idea. Well, that's a great, great story to close us out on. I'd like to thank my guest today, Keshav and Tarun Amla of Avish Tech, and remind listeners that today's podcast has been sponsored by PCB East, the original conference and exhibition for printed circuit board design, fabrication, and assembly on the East Coast. This year's show takes place June 15 to 17 in Marlboro, Massachusetts. The website is pcbeast.com. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day. (laughs) 